Meet me on the softer side. Meet me on the softer side. Softer side of your heart. Hi there, and welcome to the Skylight Books author reading series. You can find out about this and all of our other author events at www.skylightbooks.com, where you can also browse our inventory as well as order books online. You can also follow us on Twitter or even be our friend at Facebook.com. If you'd like to talk to a real person, we can be reached at 323-660-1175. And don't forget, Skylight Books depends on listeners like you to help support us. So whether you're in our neighborhood or browsing online, buy a book or two to help ensure that we'll be around for a long, long time. Thanks and enjoy. Okay, so tonight's event is to celebrate uh, Dorte Elmiger and her fellowship at Via Aurora. Now, Via Aurora is over on the west side, uh, on the coast there, and it, they have uh, fellows, fellowships there for artists. And um, we have some pamphlets at the back, and if you have any questions about those fellowships, feel free to ask some of the representatives that are here tonight. And there's also the pamphlets at the back that you can take and find out more about Villa Aurora. Um, someone else that's in attendance tonight is Husana Musbali, who's the Forschinger Fellow for tw tw 2012, from, and he's from Tunisia. And he's just also here tonight. Um, but tonight we're here for uh, Dorte Almiger. And uh, tonight, uh, this is her book here we've got a translation of, which we're pretty excited. Because last time we did an event with Viorora, the book wasn't even in translation yet. So this is pretty fantastic for us. Um, Dorte was born in Switzerland and has been living in Berlin and Switzerland since 2009. Currently staying as an artist in residence at Viorora, she is the award-winning author of this dystopian novel of youth and rebellion entitled Invitation to the Bold of Heart. So please help me welcome Dorothy Elminger. Thank you very much and thank you for having me. It's such a nice place and I'm very happy that I am invited to be here today. I, when I first got here to California, the weather was so nice that I thought people never get sick here. But after spending two days in bed, <laughs> just uh, until today, I know that even in California, people do get sick. And you have to excuse me if I have to blow my nose maybe a couple of times. <laughs> so I would like to read from my book. Um, it was called, or it still is called, Einladung an die Waghalsigen in German. Um, and it has been translated by Katie Derbyshire. And first, I think I'd like to tell you a little bit about it and then read a short, short one page uh, of the German version and then uh, start with the English one. Um, the book tells the story of two sisters who grow up in a deserted mining town um, where fire, coal fire has been burning underground for many years. You might have heard about a case like this in uh, Pennsylvania where the fire has been burning uh, for 50 years maybe. Buildings start to collapse, people are forced to move away. Um, and this is what has happened in this fictional town that I wrote about 
about. Um, the only people left are the two daughters, their father, who is a uh, police commander, and police officers who uh, take care that everything stays just the way it is. And the two sisters don't want to settle with that. They're not. Uh, they don't want to accept the state uh, this place is in, and they decide to set off and they wander around and take notes on everything they find, reasons or things, clues that tell them what happened there, but also hints about the future, how change could take place. And then they read about a river called Buenaventura, which supposedly once ran through this uh, landscape, but then disappeared, and they are determined to find that river again. So the text is really, it says novel on the German um, edition, but I think it's more like a collection of fragments or a heap of fragments. And I'm going to start in the beginning and then skip uh, pages and just read little excerpts from uh, different spots in the book. But first, uh, one German German page because I think sound and rhythm to me when writing writing is very important so I'd like to give you a little example of the German also because my German is better than my English. <laughs> Meinerseits war ich oft allein mit den Büchern. Mir war nichts anzusehen. Morgens stand ich auf und kochte Kaffee. Ich stellte mich vor die Bücher, ich betrachtete sie, ich trank den Kaffee und ging weg. Später kam ich wieder. Ich wusste nichts über die Bücher. Seit jeher standen sie in der Wohnung über der Polizeistation. Ich wusste nicht, wer sie hergebracht hatte. Ich wusste nicht, wem sie jetzt gehörten und wem sie später gehören sollten. Ich las die Fach- und Sachbücher, montanwissenschaftliche Schriften, Bücher über die Schifffahrt, den zweiten Band, Grundriss der Geschichte, von den bürgerlichen Revolutionen bis zur Gegenwart, eine Einführung in die Astronomie, die Meere der Welt, zwei Bände über die Vögel Europas und Alaska, Mexiko, 9148 Meilen von Anchorage nach Oaxaca. Die Wüste lebt, Winston Churchill, die Pflanze Band 1 und 2, The Beauty of America, Inseln im Atlantik, Angers sous l'Occupation, Alpenflug mit 191 Fliegeraufnahmen und einer farbigen Tafel nach einem Gemälde von F. Hass, Wunder aus aller Welt, Band 1, 5, 6 und 7. Ich las am Küchentisch, während Fritzi durch das Gebiet wanderte, las ich. I, for my part, was often alone with the books. No one could tell by looking at me. I got up in the mornings and made coffee. I stood in front of the books. I contemplated them. I drank my coffee and went away. Later I came back again. I knew nothing about the books. They had been in the apartment above the police station forever. I did not know who had brought them there. I did not know who they belonged to now, nor who they would belong to later. I read the reference books and the textbooks, treatises on mining science, books about shipping, the second volume of Introduction to History from the Bourgeois Revolutions to the Present Day, an Introduction to Astronomy, The Oceans of the World, two volumes on the birds of Europe and Alaska, Mexico, 9,148 miles from Anchorage to Oaxaca. The Living Desert, Winston Churchill, The Plant, Volumes 1 and 2, The Beauty of America, in Inseln im Atlantic, 
Angers sous l'occupation, Alpine flight with 191 aerial photographs and a color plate after a painting by F. Hass, Wunder aus aller Welt, volumes 1, 5, 6 and 7. I read at the kitchen table. While Fritzi roamed the territory, I read. An agreement we had never made. Sometimes I looked up from the kitchen table at the very moment she walked past outside, slowly crossing the country far away. Though she walked slowly, she once went all the way to St. Bynson. I took my bearings from the pit frames, she said on her return. I piled the books on the kitchen table. I conducted research. At some point, I discovered tiny flowers in one of the 191 aerial photographs Walter Mittelholzer had shot in 1928, flowers I was already familiar with from The Plant, Volume 2. The sixth volume of Wunder aus aller Welt explained to me how aeroplanes are constructed and function. The living desert was mind-boggling and Walter Mittelholzer flew over Mount Kilimanjaro on January 8, 1930. In volume 5 of Wunder aus aller Welt, a chapter on mining by Hans Günther in which the pit frames tower above the shafts which lead vertically down into the earth. I held on to everything worth remembering, giving reports in the evenings. Fritzi listened and added whatever else had to be said. It was early evening. Two police officers were leaning against the outside wall downstairs, talking quietly. I spent a long time watching them. That evening I had read about the river for the first time. It unfolded visibly before me. Its name was Buenaventura. It flowed calm and wide, yet not without its perils. At times it seemed rough to me, barely sprung from the eastern flank of the mountains. It crossed southern heat, subtropical regions, Florida. I was alone. Fritzi was out roaming. Our father, H. Stein, was downstairs in the police station. I had not yet told Fritzi about the river. I ate a slice of bread, then sat back down at the table. Two padres and an old cartographer had discovered the river on their 1776 expedition. It was an early autumn day and the cartographer probably walked stooped over as he had a stomach ache. The three of them held a show of hands to agree on a name. The cartographer hastily jotted down the river and its location in his notes and they continued on their way. Along with the reports in the books, I had found a map from 1823 on which a river with the name Buenaventura flowed into a lake. In widely spaced inked letters to the left were the words, unexplored territory. The officers were still there when I looked out of the window. I couldn't see them, the darkness had grown too great, but I heard their voices. I adjusted the beam of the desk lamp. On further expeditions, years later, they had charted the unexplored territory. They had missed the river, then failed to find it again, then looked too far to the south. They suspected it further eastwards. They believed it to be in the north. They doubted its existence. Buena Ventura. 
In 1844, J.C. Le Mans definitively ruled out the river's existence. His geographical surveying expedition had failed to find it either. When he made his report to the country's president, the latter called him young and spoke of the impulsiveness of young men. Fritzi entered the kitchen late in the evening. She hung her anorak over the back of my chair, and still the torrent flowed wide before my eyes. I said only this. According to my own calculations, the river Buenaventura still flowed straight through this territory 240 years ago. Fritzi nodded, then we must look for it. That evening, I climbed on my motorcycle and drove around the town. With me drove a great unrest. The town was dark, a light still burning on Elizabeth Korn's first floor, but that too was soon out of view. I left the town behind me. I sought the Buenaventura long and anxiously on my journey. Once, unexpectedly, the motorcycle leapt over a railway sleeper, then everything was as it had been. I recall I rode far, almost all the way to Usten. Near Usten, they said, the archaeologist Norma Jay was digging for fossils in a riverbed. Shortly before Usten, fear took hold of me. On my late return, as I pushed a motorcycle into the garage, Officer Heller sitting alone in the common room playing with a jackknife. A golden engraving, Heller. Hella, have you ever heard tell of a great river by the name of Buenaventura? A great river, they say, that virtually tore at its banks at times, and its banks were populated by rare creatures. It flowed through this territory. Its bed was here. I recall Hella absolving his monthly shooting practice. I pushed the kitchen table out of the back corner forward to the light. I drank a coffee there. Were the spatial conditions significant for my research? Who had sat here in the dark corner? The maid, the worker after his shift, silent with weariness? And who sat at the window? Sometimes the mine boss paid an unexpected visit. He was served a better piece of meat to be on the safe side. I pushed the table back away from the window a little. What was forgotten lay in the dark corner. Fritzi sat down mutely with me. Her alarm clock had been ringing for several hours. Her hair stood up in all directions. In silence, the two of us watched what they called the sky here and what had once been the land beneath it and now merely sprawled. At some distance, three pit frames stood unmoving in the landscape. The steel cable still ran taut over the cable sheaves into the ground. Railway tracks sunk deep into the earth, led away from the shafts. The pit frames were the only reference points the land offered. And the hills, and the houses, and the roads? The northern coal field recalled only itself. The man's cable rides to the depths, inscribing their own time periods on the land. Fritzi spoke cautiously about the untenable landscape. 
For a long time, she said, I've been trying to comprehend the landscape here. She said, I look at the pit frames rising through the sky, and I look at the railway lines running deeper and deeper into the ground because they're sinking and sinking. I look at the sky because the sky might also be symptomatic. The sky is also part of this landscape. I count, she said, I count the colors. My vocabulary is exhausted after brown, olive, and black. And when I think about it, those are all the colors there are here. I look at the few houses standing in the landscape at random distances from one another, stubborn and alone, they perpetuate the names of their streets and have lost all context. Formerly aligned in neat rows, the houses stand in the expanses of endless streets, kept from collapsing by high piles of bricks on either side. She said, the land is lying prone, it's not working anymore. The landscape has been shut down and no one goes down the shafts anymore. I try to imagine the landscape, the plain. I practice a neutral gaze. I try to view things with no emotion. I call myself an observer and count the breaches in the landscape. She said, I place myself in the land and look for the smallest common distance to the things around me. I speak their names and remember the names they used to have. They used to call a birdcage an aviary. That is how Fritzi spoke about the landscape at first hand. She was wearing a pair of our mother's old jogging pants. I saw I put a cup of coffee on the table for her. <clears throat> In the nights that followed, I dreamt of the Mekong. The Mekong grew wider and wider as time passed by. In its midst rocked a small transport ship, its freight two cages of hens. At the rudder sat a woman in a hat. Once darkness had broken, when the heat grew even clearer, I heard people's voices calling back and forth, calling from one bank to the other until deep in the night. Morning came, and I wrote on a sheet of paper, in search of a river, O Buena Ventura. The procedure, extensive research in the territory and in the books on the territory's past and present, interrogation of those present, possibly archaeological excavations. Then I stayed in bed and thought of the animals in the Mekong Delta. Little monkeys clung tightly to the tree trunks. The fish were swimming their paths. A giant catfish passed just below the surface and a snow crane flew past. <coughs> I kept myself busy by staring out of the window. Empty beer cans rolled out from under the seats as Fritzi took a turning and immediately swerved to avoid a deep fissure in the middle of the road. A sudden speed took hold of us in the low land. I wound the window down. We were a blue point on a line on a plane. Down on the edge of town near the old swimming pool, a stretch of road had caved in. The officers had blocked it off with red tape. Fritzi stopped the car. We stayed in our seats. The land was just as silent as it sounded behind the car windows. I was exhausted by the movement we had undertaken across it and by its unshakable paralysis. A raised hunting hide stood far away on the edge of a field. I cast a glance at Fritzi. It was very simple, she said. I tore out a wire under the steering wheel like in the movies and held it against another wire. The engine started instantly. Really very simple, she said, scratching her head in amazement. One day, Fritzi would lie awake on the back seat of this car far away from here. 
One day we would load everything we had into the car, blankets, clothes and the books, the coffee machine and the coffee cups, a reading lamp, a crate of beer and that kind of thing. In the glove compartment were a road map and old cassettes. We shouldn't take driving all too seriously, said Fritzi. It is only a very private pleasure. I inserted one of the cassettes into the stereo. The loudspeakers crackled. Yes, I said. That evening we drove off again, following the police patrol around town. Along the way, a windmill. There once was a land in a state of abandonment, etc. It was abandoned, it had been abandoned, it must itself have abandoned us. It was so extremely vast and had it always been that way. The days passed tight-lipped. Fritzi's alarm clock rang for hours and Fritzi said she needed an unprecedented amount of sleep. Sometimes she wore spectacles now, which we'd found on a workbench in the abandoned printing plant. Fritzi was lying in bed as I entered her room. My back ached, my feet were cold. I believe, I said, our undertaking is doomed to fail. We will never find the river. Fritzi raised her head, gazing at me through narrowed eyes. She threw a pillow at me. Keep looking, you weakling, she called. Then her head fell back onto the bed. As I wrote, I thought, it is obviously presumptuous to write, I am far too young, and at the same time, later is too late, it is now, always now, and at all cost. I spent my days in this small kitchen, typing on Schröder's typewriter, I listened to the news on the radio, and the traffic reports from distant towns and valleys. As I wrote, I thought that I would never experience anything in this kitchen, and at the same time, that there was nothing to experience outside either, nothing worth mentioning. And the days and the hours passed me by, moving past the window with outrageous regularity, as I sat in the kitchen, quite calm and untouched touched by it all. They had declared invalid all manner of efforts for improvement. They had declared that there was nothing more to do. The fires could not be extinguished. No need to repair the damage. The River B had never existed either. The police commander declared with a smile that we should come to terms with the situation. Only the televisions were operating, transmitting all manner of things so that nobody here forgot they were, in fact, still in this world. The police officers had bought stocks and shares some years ago, and Heller, the youngest officer, had treated himself to a new police car out of his own funds. They were their only statements to date concerning the future. And the two sisters, they keep on looking for the river. They don't find it. Um, they, but they are joined by a horse, an old mining horse that they call, call Bataille. Uh, and they also find something uh, like a sinkhole, which they think might be connected to the river. And I will read a couple the last a couple pages um, before I stop. Uh, from the end of the book, 
I was in Usten, I also entered Hasseldorf. I visited Belkenburg, viewed Hinterzell, Sankt Beinsen, Wildenstadt. I walked through Unterdorf, drove once around Vergel. I saw the edges of the woods, I heard a bird's call from far away, the humming of the transformer station. I thought of the Mekong, of the Nile, the Amazon, the Yangtze, the Po and the Mississippi. I searched for the Buenaventura. Above my head flew an albatross, yet it did not land. I walked all the roads in the south and followed the paths to the north. I roamed to the east and of course to the west. Fritzi too had walked these streets. She had rode out ahead of me on the horse Batai. She had run after me, had crossed my path at regular intervals. We met by chance on the edges of the woods in the deepest valleys at small standing waters, ponds, puddles and pools. We met below the pit frames and at the great mine ventilator. We rendezvoused on the savannah yellow field for we were in search of the river. And the light rose and fell and the days passed with quiet footfalls. Once it was summer, then came the autumn and soon it would be winter. Fritzi was walking outside with the horse on a loose rope. A horse has an unerring instinct for water, she had said. Its nostrils tremble and it raises its head in excitement towards the horizon where the albatross flew. At the sinkhole of the Buenaventura, we make plans for the time after the long winter. Plans to remedy A, our pitiful existence, and B, this pitifully wasted stretch of land. We plan a conference that shall culminate in a great celebration. We shall undertake a trip on the Buenaventura in a wooden rowing boat, which shall take us all the way to China. We shall proclaim the land anew. We shall ride in circles on Bataille, and then suddenly veer off and disappear. We shall perform plays in numerous languages, but we shall not put on costumes. We shall invite countless guests, among them many mining scientists, lady archaeologists, a squad of firemen, lady and gentlemen, representatives of the arts, the miners of all continents, typographer, a number of young people bold of heart. I type letter after letter, the great celebration of the rediscovery of the River Buenaventura, and I insert each one into an envelope to the Academy of Mining Science, to a band from London that we heard on the radio, to the aforementioned typographer, to a geography student from Berlin and Freudenberg, to a surveyor from the former GDR, to Norma Jackson, lady archaeologist, to the lady photographer and war reporter who studied in Frankfurt am Main, to the poets Wassermann, Loy and Becker, to the lady chroniclers of the northern lands of Africa, to the first deputy mayor of Reykjavik, to the youth of Athens. Then we send off the letters for which we have to take one last long drive this winter. We make coffee and pour it into thermos flasks and set off. Fritzi nods warily out to the morning. We shiver and drink coffee and spill half of it as we suddenly cross unexpected railway tracks. We drive through the morning, sleepy and calm. It's our home for the moment, as if we had just cast anchor and the harbor walls had just vanished in the mist and the ocean we were sailing lay ahead of us again. This is where I'm going to stop. <laughs> Thank you. I, 
I think there is time for questions. If you have any questions, I would be happy to answer them. Yes. Um, that's always hard for me to answer because I think I have writers, uh, I read writers that are very important to me, but I couldn't fit all of them into one uh, school or tradition of writing. So I think it's more uh, like single persons that come from very uh, different uh, places um, that I like a lot. And Yes, I th well, um, mainly writers from the German-speaking countries, yes. I have to confess that I always thought that there's so many German writers that I have to read first, that I have to do that, and um, so I'm still not not done. <laughs> so um, I've, I've, um, I've, I've, of course, also read uh, American writers, um, but I think the ones that influenced me most were from Germany or Switzerland or Austria. Um, yes, I think Robert Walser uh, is very important for me. I, I saw that you have a, a book by him uh, in store. Um, uh, Austrian writers um, like Ilse Eichinger, for example, or Gerd Jonke, um, Elfriede Jelinek, I think they, they uh, did very interesting things. Um, I also like W.G. Sebald, uh, W.G. Sebald uh, very much. I think he's translated too. He writes essays and uh, things that are between fiction and, and essays. Um, very, uh, very important to me too. Um, my political interest. Um, um, what do you mean by interest? Do you mean my my uh, opinion on politics, or? Well, I think that just um, I have many questions uh, concerning the world and society and everything that's going on. Um, and I think the places I look for answers are, of course, history and, and maybe the Ideengeschichte, um, the history of political uh, thought or ideas. Um, and so, of course, that's also um, things that are important to me when I write. Um, I don't know if that answers your question. <laughs> my questions. Um, I think they. Um, my questions revolve around how uh, society is organized today and how it was organized before. Um, and I think many. I, I wrote the book before all of the. Uh, before uh, Arab Spring, I think uh, this gentleman here doesn't like it too. Uh, if it, oh, well. <laughs> um, uh, 
and also before everything about concerning Occupy and these movements um, happened. And but I think many questions that that some in one way or the other show themselves again in 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 those movements maybe were questions that uh, I was concerned with. Uh, what's this capitalism, and is it really the last um, resort? I don't know if that's the right word. Yes. Is there something else? Might there, or did everything else fail? <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> you said you were interested in uh, nonfiction and fiction, like uh, essay and memoir or something. What's that about? What do you? Is that something you're, you're currently working on then? No, I'm. Um, I'm right now. I'm working on on something completely different, which is um, completely fictional. But I just think that it's a little bit like uh, when I go watch plays, for example. These moments when I'm not sure: uh, do I see the actor now as the actor, or is he? Um, is this his role that he's playing? And for example, in Sebald's essays or in his texts, the 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 question of fiction or non-fiction, what is true, what is reality, and what is what did he make up, um, is is very important. And it, at the same time, you realize that maybe, uh, yeah, it's never possible to do one or the other. Um, so I think that's just, uh, of course, a thought that affects me in writing every day because um, I walk around and I see things and then I sit down and are these two completely different things, me writing here and, and walking around outside or is it the same and how can I make a connection? It took me a long time, especially if you look at it. It's very, it's not very, very big, but uh, still, it took me a very long time. And I don't, um, I don't work with plots. Um, uh, the idea of of a plot um, is somehow feels a little bit strange to me because I don't conceive the world or my life is not that orderly and goes from A to Z. And so I started out with the this landscape um, and I had seen pictures of this town in Pennsylvania um, and it's it's fascinating and terrible how you can you can see pictures of how it used to look before and then uh, now you still see kind of where the streets used to run and the outset of the town but it has gone by now and I think the picture of this place and also the emotions that came along with it really um, made me think about other questions maybe the one I mentioned before and so I this landscape was like the stage and everything else came onto the stage step by step mm -hmm. <laughs> I don't know, <laughs> but I think maybe in, in friendship, 
I think uh, when I people often ask me if when I write do I have a specific reader or or the perfect reader in mind and I think when I wrote this book I just had friends in mind uh, and I wanted to to start a conversation with French friends real friends and maybe also imaginary friends and maybe friendship um, is a good place to uh, to see hope I don't know <laughs> That's good. That's good. I will have to tell the translator to. Are you happy with the translation? Um, I feel like um, it's really a hard task to let go of, um, and it's also a special um, case because I understand English. It has also been translated into uh, Swedish, and it's being translated into Turkish right now. And there, I just have no clue. I can't read it, and so it's a special case with this translation. And I, uh, some things I would have done differently, but I feel like I'm, I'm the writer and not the translator. So I, I just have to let go of that. And um, uh, yeah, but I think uh, uh, I, I like the book. Yes. <laughs> Well, maybe we can uh, pull the table out and have our author sit down and do some signing for some books if you'd like. And if you have some other questions, maybe you can ask her in person. Yep. But it's really wonderful. I'm really happy we got to do this event with, with you and with you Thank over you. again. So thanks for coming down. Let's give her all a hand. You've been listening to the Skylight Books author reading series. Don't forget that you can check out this and all of our other great podcasts at www.skylightbooks.com. Today's music was provided by Fragile Gang. You can check them out at MySpace, Facebook, and the iTunes Music Store. Thanks for stopping by, and we hope to see you soon.